Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. And I'm sitting here in the man cave on location with Mr. Brown, who is dealing with a, a foot injury and a broken neck recovery. But he's still upright and above ground, Mr. Brown. I always ask every week, how are you, sir? I think it's the arthritis setting in at my older age now. Because <laughs> I keep saying I'm hurting, and my wife's just like, it's arthritis because of the rain that's rained like 80 straight days. Uh, because that's what we do when we're older, right? We associate injuries with the weather. Yeah. I think there's a thunderstorm coming because my hip's active. Yeah, up. we're like the old couple sitting there. We both got our matching blankets on the reclining couches, <laughs> and I'm talking about my neck and my foot hurting. She's like, honey, it's arthritis. You're getting old, and it's raining. Uh, life is hard. <sighs> it's depressing, too. The old timers used to say it was going to be bad when you got older, and I never believed them. No, they're full of lies. And, and then here we are at our age telling our kids that we know what's going to happen in their life and they continue to defy us too. Okay, Boomer. Whatever, Boomer. You know, I take the okay, Boomer as a badge of honor. Do you? Because you're not a millennial? Right. Like, if when my son calls me a Boomer, like, it brings a little tear to my eye. Like, I feel, I feel very proud that he thinks I'm that old school. No, I mean, that could be a good thing. Which, you know, it doesn't work because in, like, the older generation, like, my father and other people would look at me and say, you and your iPhones and your Xboxes. and your We don't claim you. No. You, you don't, you're a poser. You don't know what it's like to do real hard work. So now the boomers are, like, judging us because, you know, we're getting associated as OK Boomer and we're clearly not. Yeah, we're in that in-between stage. Nah, no one wants us. And then the Gen X, they just don't care. Nah. I feel like I'm more Gen X than Boomer, though. Yeah. Or not Boomer, but Millennial. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I'm not, I've never wore suspenders to be stylish like a hipster. Have you? No. Nah. <laughs> you, you look like you might be the type. I don't know. No, I saw that meme from Hogan today. I've, I know I don't need to wear no suspenders. Oh, was <laughs> that was, if you, you got to take a dump while wearing your overalls. I'll get these overalls off, brother. I got to take uh, a dump. He's got to rip it off. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't go wrong with a good Hulk Hogan meme. So, you know, it, it seems like it, it's kind of a quiet period in sports. NFL's done past. The Super Bowl's kind of come and gone. But I feel like there's a lot to talk about, and we haven't quite got to baseball season. Pitchers and catchers, though, they just reported. Are you excited about that? I mean, the birds are a chirping. <laughs> the snow in some places is a melting. You hear the sound of the mitt popping. It only means one thing. Pitchers and catchers report. That's, that's exactly right. And it's the only time all year where I'm going to sit there and look at our pitching prospects and wonder if they're going to show off in spring training and it means they got an opportunity to actually make a roster. And, and, and you get to hear that uh, so-and-so is in the best shape of his life. Oh, they all are. Every year there's a story, oh, I've gained 20 pounds of muscle where I've lost 20 pounds and best shape of my life. <laughs> I want to see the guy that like rolls in like looking like John Cruck. Like, <laughs> where's that story? He's like, you know what? I didn't even like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, guys. I had a lot of cheesesteaks, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hit dingers. And that's the beauty about baseball. You can be four foot eleven or six foot five and two seventy-five. As long as you can hit that round ball with a round bat, you're all right. Well we thought you could be four eleven, but you have to have trash can technology now, apparently. So that's that's a lie. Well well speaking of, good segue into that. So the the Astros, they they've just reported for spring training and Unfortunately, they've had to address the media, and while I haven't seen all of that, it does not look like it went very favorably for them, that they didn't seem to take a lot of ownership. They're still saying they're 
World Series crown is legitimate. And a lot of people, it's drawn the ire of most of the baseball community. Did you get to catch any of that? Yeah, I watched the short press conference today. Uh, very, very, very brief. If, if you blink, you may have missed it. So <laughs> you had Jim Crane, the owner. Before we even get into what happened today, what ticks me off is none of the players have came forward until today when Jim Crane, the owner, says, who pays their salaries and says, you need to at least speak on it. Well, no one came across on their own and said, I'm going to man up. We got caught and just speak to it before now and make it genuine and sincere. Now they're being forced to, so it was a canned response. Well, they've been able to avoid the the limelight, the reporters, and the media for a good while because it hasn't been during the season, right? This has all been in the offseason. But they knew it was coming. So why not just go ahead and hit it head on and address that problem before you get to spring training and be a man about it? Like you would think, like, I, I'll be honest with you. So we had this conversation not too long ago that A.J. Hinch would never manage again. I think he will. You the, saw way he's in, the way he's handled it. His interview, right, that he did where yeah. he sat down oh, and, yeah. he, and he kind of owned it. Yeah. And, like, he didn't condone it. And that he knew about it, but he didn't do enough. He didn't do enough to stop it. But but he he owned that. Like he's sitting there saying, like, I should have been a better manager. I should have been a better leader. It was my team. I was responsible for that. Whether or not I, I allowed it or condoned it, it still happened under my watch. Like, that's what you want to hear from this guy. I agree with you. I mean, he he probably could get a shot because he he seemed like he was genuine. Tom will forgive. Like, Tom heals some wounds. And, and the fact that he's been – you know, legitimately kind of apologetic to a certain degree and willing to kind of show some ownership. I think he's got a chance. Like when you compare, like the Pete Rose thing, like everybody wants to always talk about Pete Rose and the Astros now. So like Pete Rose denied it for like 25 years, right? Like yeah, he, I mean, when you come back and say it 25 years later, they just feel like you're doing it just to get uh, right. whatever you want out of it. Like you figured out lying didn't work, so now you're doing this. So at least Hinch, within a matter of months, came out and just owned up to it. Now, you had guys like Bregman and, and Altuve. and Hold on, uh, let's, let's get into that. Oh, okay. About today. All right, go about today. So what drove me nuts is the owner, Jim Crane, who's been adamant all along. We're going to talk about it in spring training. We're going to address it. Right. He comes out first. He, he, and he, he says, was the leadoff man. He says, the owner, the figurehead of the organization says that this – process of the trash can technology did not influence games yeah that's not why we won the world series and then within 55 seconds he was backtracking and stating that he did not say that when he was on film on on record of saying it 55 seconds earlier clearly it's not what he meant so he backtracked that quick and was just saying it wasn't a big deal basically that it didn't affect outcomes of games so for major league players across the, the whole freaking league was like Tell me what's coming every pitch and tell me it ain't going to influence a game. Like, this is ridiculous. So everybody's ticked. They're like, you'd have, done, you'd have been better off not having a press conference today because this was garbage. It, probably. Uh, Did the players say anything of note? No, I mean, well, Jason Stark flipped out on him. He was like, this is terrible, the, the baseball tonight writer. But then you have Altuve, you have Bregman. Basically, they both got up to the mic. They had scripted responses, <laughs> and they, they, and they were both about thirty seconds long. And they didn't stop and wait for questions from reporters. 
neither one of them said anything that they did wrong. They were just like, it was unfortunate that this happened. We're looking forward to moving to 2020, moving forward and putting this behind us. But they didn't say, hey, you know, this is what we did. This is what we shouldn't have did. They didn't really own it. Now, Springer and Correa, they was more like because they caught them in the locker room type thing, and they seemed more more genuine. informal setting. Yeah, they were more they were more genuine and was just like, you know what, we screwed up, and we 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 can't do this because we're a good team. We don't need to do this. So, did you catch any of the stuff regarding um, Beltran where they were acting like he was more of a a a very strong? force behind this whole process when it was going on that even when AJ Hinch was talking, he was like, well, I, I just couldn't stop him. Like you're the manager. And I get, we're talking about a little bit of forgiveness for Hinch over the long term. I get that. But that, you know, Beltran originally came out and we were all like, all right, you know, he handled it the right way. He had a good press conference when he decided to, you know, mutually part ways as being the Mets manager. But now He's starting to be implicated a little bit more as a, you know, hardcore figure in this that was just a, a tyrannical, you know, dominant guy. Like, you're going to do this or else. I'm not going to stop banging the trash can. When you hear it, you know what to do. I heard that. Um, and then that's when Springer and Correa came to his defense and was saying that Beltran, we know he wasn't the guy leading it. We all were adults here. They kind of played it off a little bit. It's Cora. <laughs> I mean, because they're buddies, I guess. But, I mean, it definitely hurts Beltran's chances more so than A.J. Hinch, even though A.J. was the manager at the time it happened, as opposed to Beltran being the player. Yeah, how's A.J. Hinch the one that comes out looking the best out of the three potential managers with him, Beltran, and Cora? Hinch is the guy like, yeah, I'll give him another chance. It's crazy, but that's the way it looks right now in public opinion. But, like, there, there's these known facts that, like, he would smash the monitors and he would get mad and he would tell them to stop. But he was just like... He's like the bad parent that if you don't stop, Mr. Brown, you're going to be grounded. I said, stop it. I'm gonna, I swear I'm going to ground you. And then, like, the kid never gets grounded. And they just keep doing it. That's Hinch. Yeah, right? I, I think so. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the type of person you want being a manager either. But at least it's better than being, you know, malicious or, or downright just evilly maligned. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. So – we got to see plenty of the the Astros, or not really plenty of. We got to see the disaster that was them trying to address this. Uh, in other spring training news, you know, Nolan Arenado has been on a lot of people's minds. He show up for spring training. Well, I mean, it's, right now it's pitchers and catchers. Um, no, no position players are obligated to show up till next. But week. a lot of them do. Um, he's always shown up the day the pitchers and catchers oh, report. He, he's a player's player because he Absolutely. likes to show up and set the tone. Right. Well, this year not so much. He showed up, just not to the Rockies complex. <laughs> he went to college. Yeah, he went to, I believe, Arizona State and just hit down there. And he, he said he'll report when position players report. So, I like that. If I'm Nolan Arenado, like, I think that's the best thing possible because, you know, it shows that you're bitter about the entire situation, which rightfully he should be. But is he lazy? No. He He's showed going up. and doing his, putting in the work, just I'm not gonna, with you I'm guys. I'm still going to go get work in. I'm just not doing it with your jackleg organization, right? Right. So that's – I. Over under what what month is he getting traded? I, I don't know about this one. I think that's the hardest one. I think Chris Bryant gets traded before him. I, all right, we're not comparing apples to apples here. I'm just saying for Arenado alone. I don't know. If you had to give me a date, if you were Vegas 
and this was a betting line on when Arenado gets traded from the Rockies. What is your what is your over under date you would set? I, I think it'd go either way. I mean, I, I'm going to say July 1st. I think he could stay to the trade deadline or not even get traded. Oh, man, what a disaster that would be. I just – unless unless they get a trade partner and allow him to talk to them and he agrees to waive his no-trade clause. he has that. If he would do that, yes, absolutely. But if they won't agree to do that, then no one's going to trade for the guy. They're just not. So – it, it just over or under, do you think he's getting traded this year? I don't, don't. What's your gut? I don't think he does. Really? Right. Why? I just don't think – I mean, there's too many clauses in the contract. I mean, it's really just him being able to say no. It's not like – look, it's a big contract. It's big money, but it's not It's not Harper money. I mean, unless it's like the team that emerges in front is like – no one's like, you know, that's the team I want to spend the rest of my career with type of team, right? then he would be like, sure, and then it could happen. But I feel like most of your above-average ball clubs right now, they have decent third-base options. Right. I don't think there's like a big like lack of depth for third base. Well, I agree. So that, that hurts him. The, the, the Cubs keep popping up because they're – they're going to get rid of theirs. They would rather have uh, him than Chris Bryant, um, which, well, I, I, which I agree because with. Because of the contract terms. And like – don't get me wrong. If you can go anywhere and like be a cult hero, it's Wrigley Field. Yeah. If you can go there could. and perform. But I, I just don't know. I think there's too many variables. I think he stays put. It, it could happen. I'm not – I'm with you. Like, I, I'm going to tell you I think he's gone. I think it's I think it's going to be in early July. But, you know, things can change. And, you know, the, but let's be honest, the Rockies are not going to be in contention, right? No. <laughs> so maybe that, that will help uh, add some clarity to the situation as we move forward. Speaking of trades and clauses and whatnot, we talked last week in a great amount of length about the Mookie Betts deal, and then come Wednesday, it still wasn't completely finalized. Like it finally happened yesterday where every, all, all things were processed through. What the hell happened? What was the hold up with that? I mean, it didn't go through originally because the Gratterall uh, prospect from the Twins. Right. They were worried about his uh, health issues. Well, then uh, the players union stepped in and was like, you need to force this along quickly uh, to so we don't raise all kinds so of This is like the it. opposite of the NBA whenever they wouldn't like force the trade. Like the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers at one time. They're like, no, 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 we can't do that. And they're like trying to expedite it. <laughs> they're like, no, just make it happen. But I mean – it was going to happen. I mean, now the only change really is that uh, Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling didn't go to but the But that Angels. wasn't part of that trade. I know, but it was kind of a domino effect. It, it was. Which is kind of weird that uh, that fell through. I think it was a matter of Art Moreno and the Angels getting uh, very impatient. And like they said on MLB Network, just ha- go have some wine and calm down and we'll, we'll make this happen. <laughs> because I was telling a friend this this week. I like Jock Peterson going there, but the Ross Stripling move was huge for the Angels. He would have slid in as our number three in the rotation, and now he's gone. Right. Like they needed Ross Stripling. The more, Angels more, needed him. More than they needed Jock Peterson. But no one knows that. An average fan wouldn't know that. Yeah, but if you know how bad the Angels pitch – like the reason why the Angels are not ever in the playoffs is because they have had pitching for the past five years. And Stripling's a good player. Like he would – he would have probably been a number three in the rotation. So they needed that to happen. I don't know why it fell through. But I want to talk about the Dodgers now, that they're 
you know, the trades went through. It, it's done. You got Mookie leading off, and you still got Jock Peterson as well. Now, everyone wants to say that the Dodgers, World Series favorite. Uh, I highly disagree. That's I Look, I love Mookie Betts. I do. And he's a great player. I don't see how he elevates them that much more than where they already were. I still think they're a great team, but they, for what they lost in their rotation is what they picked up with bets. It's, it's like a wash. It doesn't make them better well, from where they were last in year. In the last four seasons, he's averaged like 20 home runs and 90 RBS. Well, how many he, more games is that? <laughs> like, what's your war for the Dodgers? I don't think it's a lot. I mean, because I'm not impressed with David Price. I think they've downgraded the rotation, like you right, said. Right. I don't. I don't have faith in David Price at all. Mookie Betts, like I said before, and I hate to keep bringing it up, but I feel like Acuna, I feel like Yelich will both put up better numbers than Mookie Betts this year. I agree. So, I mean, they'll be better, yeah. But like to me, you can't say right now that the Yankees are not the World Series favorite. Oh no, no, no. I, I'm just looking at it like this. If you just look at the National League, just nothing else. Just the, no, it's the Dodgers. But but are they are they any better than last year? Can you really say that? I, I can't. I think they're about the same. You, you look like you're really processing this. I I think they're better. How much better though? I don't know how many games. Maybe, maybe three. Right, so they might. All right, and then I'll say this. So they could be better, but they're regular season better, not postseason better. Yeah, I mean they didn't get that guy in the playoffs like the Nats had that could be like the the arm that's going to shut you so down. So they're going to they're going to win their division anyway. Right. All right. So that that was going to happen whether they got bets or not. I think people are foolishly thinking that they're just going to outslug people now, and that's not the case. That's the Yankees how that worked out last year. Yeah. I mean the that's twins. What that's what they're they're the Yankees of last year. That's what they are, and that's why you're going to get. So World Series favorites, we both say no. Yankees might be the World Series favorites. I think they are, hands down. The Yankees, if you stack that lineup next to the Dodgers, it wins. And I their, think. And their bullpen and their rotation wins. So, so it's not even close. I think the Yankees win between 105 to 110 games this year. I would agree. I'm not going to bet against that. I'd say Dodgers, if they're lucky, might hit 100, but I'm thinking high 90s. Well, how many games do the Tigers win? Uh 65. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Chet Lemon ain't coming out that tunnel. <laughs> it was his birthday this week. <laughs> Happy birthday. Chet Lemon. <laughs> well, the NFL is over, and we talked about it in great detail last week, but the XFL had kicked off. And I got to tell you, Mr. Brown, it exceeded expectations as far as I'm concerned. I watched some of it. I didn't watch the whole game because uh, I was trying to do some husband duties and watch some dramas with the wife, you know? Uh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't watch the whole thing, but uh, I, the reviews were great. The reviews are fantastic. All I've got to say is, though, we picked the Tampa the t- Bay Vipers. Oh, We've got to jump off that, that. That's on the chopping block. We've got to jump on the bandwagon somewhere. Like You should have known. The Tampa Bay equals interceptions. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I get it. RKO out of nowhere, Viper, Apex Predator, we're thinking it's going to translate to the XFL because of the Vince McMahon connection. It clearly did not. No. Nah. It did not at all. But they're the worst team of the eight, right? But, oh, they, they're probably they, worse than Team Nine. They squ- <laughs> Yeah, Team Nine. They, be, they only beat Team Nine three to nothing. 
and they don't even play. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing was, so a, cu- a couple things, actually, with the XFL. One, the overall gameplay was really good. Two, the, the fact that ESPN and Fox broadcast the games, and they had the producer for ESPN and ABC that does college football Saturday night. Like, so you could tell. Like, they made it feel like a big-time thing. If you didn't know Vince McMahon owned the XFL and you just turned it on, you would have no idea it's associated with him or WWE at all. No, it looked legit. I mean, it really did. More than legit. And they've distanced themselves from the NFL. It's not like the AAF. They're not trying to be a farm system. You know, they're out there trying to do their thing. And, like, the social media aspect of it, like Twitter – and like like Tampa Bay, like people are already like on this quarterback controversy. Play Quentin Flowers. Like people are losing their damn mind about this stuff, and they're showing the attendance. Like every game had over twenty thousand fans, which that doesn't sound like a lot, but this is a brand new league. That's a big deal. The hottest trending uh, page on social media right now is XFL memes. Well, <laughs> and. Everyone, Black Adam Schefter, Fake Sports Center, the John Gruden. Page, we don't know sports. We're they were all <laughs> saying follow XFL memes, and everyone kept pushing it. And it's over a hundred grand for the page in less than a week. It's amazing. And and the thing is, for me, if you go back way in time when the original XFL came out, week one did phenomenal for them, and then week two fell off, and then by week three, you could tell they were done. To me. I'm so excited for week two. I think week two will have better ratings than week one because overwhelmingly the response and the criticism that came in from fans and sports writers alike was, wow, this is actually pretty good. I think it's actually built momentum from the time it started. Like I I was reading like Seattle, like who played a road game. They're like, we have to open up more seat, more seats because we don't have enough spots for all the tickets. Like that's amazing. How's that possible though? Because they, they didn't plan for more than 20K. They played a road game and lost. And now they're like, we have to sell, we have to open up more seats. But I mean, their stadiums obviously holds over like 60,000 or something. I don't know where they play. I don't know if they're at the, uh, the link or not. Oh, like, okay. like, that's the thing. Like, New York played at MetLife. That sucks. Like, they can't play there. But like, some of these others played in smaller venues in it. Like, the DC team played at, at Aldi Field in DC, which is a soccer field. And it, it actually filled up pretty nice, you know, and it looked good. More and, intimate setting. Right. right. I mean, look, look, if the Chargers can do it, why can't they? Right. It, but the thing is, all these. All these guys seem to be like, and then you, like Chargers wish they could have twenty k. They, they do. And, you know, well, speaking of L A, you know, L A Wildcats fired Pepper Johnson, and like I'm on Twitter on Monday, and that's trending. Like I see the Friday meme, like how do you get fired on your day off? You know, but, one like, week. How ruthless is that? Week. Like, and then everybody was making jokes, like. This is truly an end of an era. Pepper Johnson has been there since the beginning of this organization's existence, and now they've decided to part ways. They've played one game. It was great. But the, the fact is they've, they've traded gimmicks for innovation. So I'm going I'm to tell you, I made a prediction. that I, I told you last week I thought the XFL would last for 10 years. All right? I don't change on that. Like I, I'm only reinvigorated by what I saw. I'll tell you what I, I do know now. Within three years – the NFL will adopt the XFL's kickoff program. Really? Did you not see how they did it? Yeah, they lined up in a line right beside of each other. So NFL is all about controlling concussions, right? They're right. trying to make the game safer. So you you still have the kickoff. You didn't take that element out of the game, but you removed the 50-yard sprint and the head-on collisions. 
And and you still have an opportunity. And I can only sit there and think about, like, coaches, as they see that, you know, are you scheming, like, how you're going to – are you going to pull blockers? Like, what are you doing on trying to kick, do a kickoff return? Like, I, I find that very intriguing. Well, so I saw him lining up. And, like, I didn't understand completely what you was telling me before, until I seen it. So I saw them both lining up. When are they allowed? When's the kicking team allowed to start moving their? Nobody ball? can move until the ball is caught. So when it's caught, then you can start blocking or whatever. Correct. That's crazy. Right. But I didn't realize it was that extreme. So like then it goes down to like maybe if you're a kicker, are you trying to gimmick it where you can kick it like right behind where they're blocking, to where like you have no chance. Yeah, because like, then you're right on, right, right there on the like the the trenches. Right, but then <laughs> but like could that backfire and then like they miss one tackle and then they run downfield untouched. Like there's so many things can happen to it, but it makes it wide open. The game wasn't necessarily faster. They still went three hours. They weren't two and a half, two forty five like they thought they would be. The uh, conversion aspect I thought was interesting. I, I don't think that hurt the game at Did all. Did anybody go for three? Uh, yeah, because some teams were down by quite a bit, so they had to. Now they weren't converting because they sucked. No one converted the three. I don't. I don't know. I can't tell you that for sure. No. So did most of them go for one or two? Most went for one or two. Yeah, I, I don't. I, mean, but was I, can't, it, I can't tell you for I sure. I gotcha. I was working all weekend. I, I was like you. I saw a lot of the highlights, but as I watched the highlights, I was left with wanting to see more. Now I was a little disappointed. I cheated while I was at work. I was looking at my phone, watching the Tampa Bay game. And right. I was like, oh, yeah, else. they're terrible. So between the one and the two, where are they at for the yard lines again? Uh, I don't know. I feel like one's on the – So you don't remember? One's on the two, two – one point's on the two-yard line, uh, two is on the five, three is on the ten. Okay, okay. So three yards difference between the one and the two. Right. All right. But still – Because it eliminates the running game essentially if you go for two. Well, and that's – so what I saw with a lot of teams going for one is they didn't run the ball. They thought they could run it in for the two, and they weren't getting it. Uh, so it's just it just depends on where you think your strengths are. So as as the season continues to evolve, I think it'll be interesting to see like how the percentages add up, like who who's doing well at what when it comes to the conversions. Uh, the one foot down was a big deal. The fact they got blasted a little bit because of the sideline interviews, because they were just like kicker would miss a field goal, and then like soon as he's on the sideline, they're sticking a mic in his face, like what was going through your head as that went wide right. And he's like, uh, well, yeah, I just, I, I, I just, I just pulled it, you know. Like he it was, pulled a Belichick. Yeah, I mean, it, but what are you going to say? Like, you're getting caught in the heat of the moment. You got some people dropping f bombs on national TV. I mean, it was interesting. Well, I don't know if it's true or not. This is kind of off topic, but uh, did you see what supposedly uh, Kaepernick's contract demands were for the XFL? Yeah. Was it ten million? Twenty million? Twenty million for one year? I guess. There's no way that's real. Well, he's not getting that in the NFL. Yeah, on, like on a three-year he, he deal. He thinks they're going to come there and just like pay him whatever he wants because he's Colin Kaepernick. So here's where the XFL is going to succeed. Okay, they're going to spend the first two to three years establishing their brand. Okay, so let, let's fast forward three years from now. Now I know this person is not going to be available three years from now, but let's just say it happened now. You're Vince McMahon. Hey, Trevor Lawrence. You're not eligible for the draft. You're a hell of a talent. You should get paid for your talents. Why are you in school? I'll give you $10 million, one year, one and done. Come to the XFL. Why wouldn't he? That would be a game changer. I mean, what? but what's stopping that? So, like, all of a sudden, these, these college kids that you know they're going to the NFL, 
but they have to wait a couple years. Well, well, I mean, why not go get paid? No, I got you because even though the XFL isn't the NFL, it's still better quality than paying college. Right. So it's still an upper, higher uh, level than college. And it's not at NFL. But if Trevor Lawrence was in the XFL this year, yeah. you know what that would do to the ratings? Oh, it would skyrocket. It would blow up. I, I mean, what what happens if Philip Rivers went to the XFL? Or Drew Brees at the end of his career? Or if Andrew Luck came out of retirement? Like, all it takes is one or two. Daddy, daddy. Right. Daddy, sign me. Put daddy, Brady in there. Don't put That's where on. he needs to go. <laughs> he can go to Tampa. They mentioned that earlier on Facebook Live. <laughs> Send Brady's ass there. My point is, I think the fact that they're taking a slow approach, they're trying to build their brand, and, and and let's be honest, yeah, there's some names that we know. All they did in week one was build a brand, and it and it was a brand that you and me didn't get to watch the majority of the games. But are you more inclined to want to watch in week two? I mean, I'm excited just because of how well the reviews went, and everyone it was very uh, very positive. Like, I don't, I want to check it out more now. Everyone said if. By far exceeded expectations. Like they, I saw the stats. Like, look, the AAF was trash, but you sold more seats, more tickets in week one than they did the entire season. All right, that's a good start. Yeah, like that's showing you. And and, and what? So remember, they took a year off. They AAF launched last year. XFL was like, no, it's going to take us two years before we start up. It paid off. And they got the TV deals. And then the fact that you're getting guys like Greg Olson from the Panthers is calling games. Was he? Yes. I didn't know that. He's an analyst. Is he not playing this year? No, he retired. I thought he was met with the Redskins. Oh, maybe he did. Luke Keekley retired. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Greg Olson in his bye week last year also did some commentary for Fox. Oh, cool. So anyway, he's there. You got uh, Pat McAfee's on the sideline. I saw McAfee. Like, Losing his mind over the guy that drops the punt right. on the one yard line and the guy knocks it in the end zone like a jackass. Like that, that's, that's what's great. So the thing is, if you like football, it's football you can watch. You're not going to watch it and be like, eh, this is terrible. It's not the CFL with these weird quirky rules and three downs and guys that get a 20 yard head start at the line of scrimmage. It still feels like football. Right. But did you know this? I didn't know this until I was watching some of the games. They don't huddle at all because every player has a communication device in their helmet. Really? Why not? That's pretty cool. Why, why can't they have that? No, I agree. I mean, they're professionals. Let's just call – and they just move. So when they talk about pace of play, that's why. They can just call it in the, in the helmet. It's good. All right, so let, let's do this before we move on from the NFL or the XFL. We got to pick a team. We got to bounce back. We can't roll with the Vipers anymore. So we got we to make a decision here. I have a suggestion, but I'd like to hear what you you have to say, Mr. Brown. Okay. What team do you want to try to ride with? We're abandoning the Apex Predators. Before we pick our team, I want to do a shout-out. Oh, shout-out. So, my my dear Facebook friend, Stansley Maponga. Okay. <laughs> okay. He had the best hit week one of the XFL. So we've got to do some, pull some strings here to get him on the show to talk about that, uh, you know, hit that he had. We need to. First big hit of the, the year. It for was that. the first one. Yeah. He's, yeah, absolutely. From, from uh, TCU. Did, so. you see, did you see on did you see the wide receiver puking at the two-yard line? I did. I think everybody I did. saw I did. that. I did. <laughs> Don't cover him. No. Uh, who, who are you looking at? You got any uh, people in particular? I'm, I'm thinking D.C. D.C. 
Now, you got a big game between the D.C. Defenders and the New York Guardians coming up. Like that, They play this week. And they're both 1-0. They're both 1-0. And then you had uh, – what was uh, one quarterback, T.J. Um, – oh, T.J. Parker, who he went off. Was he uh, the St. Louis quarterback? I have no idea. I don't know. He, he, had, he You had, pick a team, I'm wrong with him because I tried the Vipers and right. I let us down. I'm going to go with the nation's capital who's playing inside city limits, not like the Redskins who play in Landover, Maryland. We're going to ride the D.C. defenders this week and see how it goes. You know who their quarterback is? No. Nah. Cardell Jones. Okay. I figure you to roll with uh, Bob Stoops. No, I ain't ro- nothing with Oklahoma. Not happening. All right. I understood. All right, All right, we'll, so, we'll try DC, see how it goes if they win. We'll stay on. I'm 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 thinking they, they might be a team to pick. I mean, because you and I both know our teams all of them suck. So damn it, <laughs> we're picking a winner this time. <laughs> I don't care if I'm jumping to the bandwagon. Or or we're pulling them down to our depths. There you go. <laughs> One or the other. Speaking of getting pulled down to the depths, let's go to some NFL news here real quick. Miles Garrett, he is now eligible to participate in all football activities again. He's been reinstated. What are your thoughts? I think that, uh, oh, dude, what's his name? Uh, Mason Rudolph. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's so irrelevant, but that's all he's known for. <laughs> he's known for getting his brain I feel brain. like he's probably checked into counseling this week. Uh, he will not be playing the next time the Steelers play the Browns, I hope. No, I mean, in all seriousness, though, the Browns uh, said we welcome him with uh, – Open arms. Well, they need him. They, they need him. So, I mean, he, he lived and he learned, hopefully, and we'll see what happens. But, I mean, he's a good player. That, that's And that's right. There's always this disparity between, like, your your infractions you commit versus your talent. The more talent you have, the more likely you are to get a second chance. That's right. All right. Also, in the world of the NFL, Mr. Jameis Winston had LASIK eye surgery. Do you think this will help him improve upon his first ever 30-30 season? I mean, I do, because he was so blind, he thought Bruce Arians was black. <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit hole, but, yes, yeah. I think I saw that somewhere. I, 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 here's my only question, and for real. If Winston's vision was really that bad <laughs> uh, up close, near, I heard he had a problem being nearsighted, why, as an NFL quarterback, would you wait and not have the surgery from the beginning when you know that could affect your – Paycheck, maybe your bottom was, line. Maybe he was wearing contacts. So to me, it's nonsense. I don't, I don't really buy into it because he, if it was this bad, he would have done it years ago. Maybe he was wearing eye corrective devices. I, I don't buy it. <laughs> I can't. Swear I think he's about still going to be trash. <laughs> it's not going to matter. It is what it is. All right. Also, Randy Moss. We just had. I think his birthday's today, isn't it? Randy Boss Moss is is he Rand University? Is he the best receiver of all time? Negative. Who is? Jerry Rice. Where do you put Randy? Number two. I can't argue that. 100%. So, I, I think the Moss could have been number one, but he had the talent. And to me, all right, so. The drive. I feel like that Moss is the equivalent of LeBron. Right. He should be. Moss should be number one physically, the most physically gifted receiver ever, but didn't have the type of wheel that Jerry Rice had. Just like. LeBron don't have MJ's well. I think what's frustrating same though, situation. What's frustrating though is I think Moss realizes that too. I do too. Like, I don't think I don't know if LeBron ever will. I think LeBron will always just think he's the greatest of all time. Right. Just ask him, he'll tell you. Right. But 
with Moss now that you know you see him, he's doing all the stuff with like ESPN, and, and he does a great job. He, he's 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 the only reason why people watch ESPN now when it comes to NFL coverage. He does way better at that than I thought he would. He does better than almost anybody. Right. And my favorite thing is like when they get him out there kicking field goals and wingtips. That, yep. That's great. But yep. anyway. I think he's mature enough to look back on his career, and I think like he's talked about how like, you don't know how good it is to have a quarterback like Adder. You don't know what it's like. And he had that time with the Raiders when the Raiders were at their all-time low and and whatnot. Like I, I think if he could do it all over again, his career would probably be the best of all time. But, you know, he didn't, and that's where we're at now. Last but not least, speaking of greats of all time, Tom Brady is officially a free agent, Mr. Brown. Let's set the Vegas pool right now. Where is he going? You clearly done told our audience he's going to Dallas. Well, I feel like he's going to Dallas. I think Colin Cowherd called that out. That's where I stole all that from. I tried to formulate that together. Uh, I don't think the Cowboys want to pay Dak Prescott, you know, $40 million a year. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a negotiating technique or what it is. I don't, I don't, who knows what Jerry Jones is going to do? I could see him thinking it's a great idea when it's clearly not with Brady. Or Pandak that, but I've heard Dallas, I've heard the Raiders because he's friends with Mark Davis and he was spotted in Vegas. I've also heard that he enrolled his kids in Tennessee right. in school, so they thought about the Titans because Tannehill's a free agent. Yep. I don't know. You got New Chicago? England still in the mix, I would think. Chicago? I heard the Dolphins early on, but why would he go to Miami? Tampa Bay? Dude, who knows? He wants to own the Dolphins, that's why. I think obviously now he should have retired last year after the Super Bowl and not came back this year. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, does New England want him back? I don't think they do. I and this is this is my take on all this. The Patriots of all organizations are the ones that know when a player is past his prime and they decide to move on. I think Tom Brady bought himself a, a couple extra years because he's so tight with Kraft, and it was the best dynasty ever. I, it's got to mean something. But I think at this point, I think they're ready to move on. I, I don't think Belichick looks at it that way. Do you know who I think they could get and be right back in the Super Bowl? Jimmy Garoppolo. No. That ain't <laughs> happening. Let's be realistic. All right. Who? Matthew Stafford. I I heard that they shot down those rumors. Who did? The, the Lions. Oh. Because he was a big rumor to be traded. And then their GM came out and like lost his mind over that. We're not trading him. What are you talking about? I mean, but all the nonsense about Stafford and him in Detroit, I think if he went to New England, they, <laughs> they would be a favorite in the AFC. Like, you know, Matt Stafford could be one of those guys that might be the best quarterback to ever live, but because he plays on the Lions, we'd never know. Right. I mean, it's just the way it is. Now, I can't say they'd be the favorite in the AFC over the Chiefs, but they'd be right there. But you imagine it. What if he went to New England and started putting up, like, Mahomes-like numbers? All of a sudden, you take a step back and go, well, <laughs> wait a minute. But here's here's the problem with Stafford. He makes too much money. It's not going to work for them. Tom Brady feels like he's owed from all those years he took pay cuts. But guess what? You ain't getting it at 42 years old, brother. His model wife's taking care of him, so he's fine. He's doing just fine. Just Giselle's teeth will take care of you. Oh, gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now in our string of having just phenomenal guests, we got a former sports writer. He's worked for a couple newspapers, I believe, up in Pennsylvania. He's written at least three NFL books that that I know of. He's a member of the Pro Football Researchers Association. Been doing that since the mid-1980s. And he's also the editor of the Facebook page, the NFL in the 1970s. 
He is a man that wears many hats, but mostly he's writing a lot with a pen. Please welcome Joseph Zagurski to the show. Joseph, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Hey, guys. Hi, how's it going? And please, I'm very informal. Just call me Joe. <laughs> All right, so I won't say Mister. It'll just be Joe. That, that'll work. <laughs> so, so Joe, man, I, I got to tell you, the main reason why we ended up kind of running into each other and I tracked you down on social media was, you know, you had a, a book that you had recently written, and you know, I want to kind of start off with that, and then I want to hear a little bit more about some of the other stuff you've done. But you, you've written a book about a particular season for the Green Bay Packers. And yeah, I got about halfway through the book. I haven't read it all. I appreciate the copy. So thank you. But I haven't got all the way through it. So one begs the question, why 1972? Why did you decide to pin an entire book about this sole season of the Green Bay Packers? Those are good questions. And that's what I get a lot of. Um, I started watching pro football back in 71. And the 72 Packers were a team that I kind of remembered from my youth, but I didn't know much about them. I knew they went to the playoffs, and they lo- and they lost their playoff game. But I didn't really think much about it for several years. And then um, I just started going back in time and doing different types of history-related football stories. And they came up, they popped up, and I did a little bit more research And then I did a little bit more research, and I realized this was something unique. This was a team that had a head coach that really shouldn't have been a head coach in football, maybe even not even junior high school football, much less college or pro. And the the way the head coach treated the team and the way he was so unprepared as a head coach in the National Football League, it just – it stunned me because I didn't know too much about Dan Devine, the person that I'm talking about. And I did a lot of research on him, and I realized this is a story that needs to be told. So I looked, and I, I didn't find anybody that really wrote anything more than a newspaper article on them over the years. So I decided, you know, the best way to get somebody to read something is to write something that no one else has written about before. And it's just generally the best way to stay published is because if no one's ever written about it before, at least you don't have competition. Probably not a big section of Barnes and Noble going over the 72 Packers. I, I'm probably with you there. So Very small. Right. I, know, I know one author. That's it. So, that's, that's it. Yeah. So one of the things that, that stood out to me is exactly what you mentioned, which, you know, the, the book tells the entire story, but I thought it was fascinating to hear the, the characterization of all these accounts with the coach. And I know when I came and told Mr. Brown, I was like, man, I've been reading this book, this coach, Devon, and he's like, that's the guy from Rudy. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the guy from Rudy. And <laughs> a funny story about that is that um, I, I won't mention his name, but he was a former Packers player. And uh, I promised him I wouldn't put this story in the book. So I won't tell you his name, but he was one of the guys that I interviewed. And uh, he told me that the producers from Rudy were um, – they were. Uh, they got a phone call from mem- members of the Divine Family, who, who you know, Dan had already passed away, and they threatened to sue Walt Disney Company for producing this movie, Rudy. And the the producers uh, returned the the call and said, "Look, the players from that Notre Dame team told us far, far worse stories about your uh, relative than." anything we put in the movie 
that's, that's the PG version, huh? Right. And so uh, they dropped the lawsuit, uh, long story short. But could you imagine if there was something even worse than what, what those guys went through? You know, so apparently this guy was most of the players that I talked to say he was just out of his league and he, he should not. Uh, Chuck Lane, uh, the PR director for the Packers at the time, told me that, you know, this is a guy who benched Joe Montana. Now, Joe Montana is in the Pro Football, College Football Hall of Fames. He's got four Super Bowl rings, two Super Bowl MVPs, but yet Dan Devine benched him. That's, that's I, not you know, a that, good thing to have on your resume. Oh, it's, it shows you what Chuck Lane said. That shows you what Dan Devine knew about player development, player trying to understand what one player can do. Bill Walsh, uh, the late head coach for the 49ers, said that once Joe Montana showed up at practice, you knew he was a quarterback from day one and he was going to be great. So Bill Walsh knew talent when he saw it. So so let me ask you this. I, you know, I feel like you could have probably just written a whole biopic on uh, on, on Divine. Like it would have been great. Because I, I, I think I've, I've seen you say this before, and I will attest that Chapter 5 – is the meat of this book. And, and you know what? Uh, six. It, it, or six. It, it's, I knew it was right there in the middle, but it really kind of dives into that. And honestly, like, I'm not a Packers fan. Now, when I'm done with the book, I'm going to give it to my brother-in-law, who is a big Packers fan, so he can enjoy it. Okay. But, you know, I, I think regardless whether or not it's, it's a good story because of the situation it tells. And then the fact that, like, I was like, oh, I, I know who this guy is, and Mr. Brown knew who it was. <laughs> so there's some pop culture relevance to it, too, and I think a lot of people wouldn't pick that up right from the start. Well, they, they might. They'll certainly be surprised by the fact that this team made the playoffs. <laughs> See, that'll just make that movie. That That's like, uh, I remember the Titans type movie or uh, the replacements or something. It could be like that. Well, uh, funny you mention that because um, there's, uh, it's not, I can't really go, really go into too much, but we're, we're talking about different things. All right. Well, Joe, you need to make sure you have a screenplay written in addition to a book. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> So I'm working, I'm working on a screenplay, but not about the 72 Packers. All right. Well, that, that might so. be, a, that might be a story for another appearance on the show though. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me ask you this, you know, you, you mentioned uh, a lot of stuff about the 1970s. So what, what draws you to covering that era so much? Is it just because when you grew up, is it when you started watching football or is there a different type of appeal that really just draws you in? Uh well, I, it's it's when I grew up. Grew up. I was a young man at that time in elementary school, and you, you know, when you're in elementary school, you love sports. Sports, you just do. And um, I, I love watching football, and I love Sundays watching NFL football. And it was just always the seventies. It was a it was a different era. It was it was more of a football was football. Today, it's 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 a little bit too. Uh, size it's 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 it, you know they didn't have these nfl networks the 24 sevens espns back then and you literally waited all summer for training camps to start and the street and smith football annuals to come come out on the newsstand and it was you know it it, it was just a fun time to be a kid and i don't want to be accused of living in the past but i um I just enjoyed that era so much. I just had so many memories from it, so I just decided to write about it. All right, so, so we'll just say you're a football <laughs> purist. How about that? 
Okay. I'll, that's a compliment. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you've written a couple other books. Let, let me hear a little bit about, about those. So what, what all have you been able to say that you're the author of? The first one is actually the, uh, the largest book that I've ever written. It's called The NFL in the 1970s, Pro Football's Most Important Decade. And it's funny because I never gave it that title. Um, I, the publishers gave it that title. I never said in the book that it was the most important decade, but um, the publishers thought that's the title we're giving it. So it's over 450 pages or close to it. Uh, and it's a very comprehensive year by year look at the 70s from 1970 through 79. I, I just, you know, it was a book that other people had written about the 70s, but not in a comprehensive way. So I wanted to write a book that was thick enough and that people could look back on years later and say this happened then or that happened then and, and get some kind of a backstory to each event. So it's it, it got a lot of good reviews. Uh, Sal Palantonio of ESPN liked it a lot. And Ray Didinger, former sports writer of uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, liked it a lot. So, I mean, I, I was happy with it. And. Uh, since it came out in 2016, it sold over 1,600 copies, so that's not bad. Um, I, I don't know if the Packers book will sell that many, but they, you know, you never know. So, and then the other book that I most recently wrote is a biography of Willie Lanier, um, first uh, African American middle linebacker in pro football history, a former Kansas City Chief, Hall of Famer, um, had 27 interceptions from the middle linebacker position, which doesn't happen a lot, gets compared a lot to Dick Butkus. Um, I tried to draw a, uh, a kind of a uh, comparison between the two in the book and let Willie pretty much talk for himself in the book. He's, there's a lot of quotes that I use from him in that book. So those are the two books, that the three books that I've written all on my own, but I've also helped out with a friend of mine, George Bazika. And uh, he wrote a book about the 1966 Green Bay Packers, the Super Bowl one Packers. And I wrote three chapters in that book for him. So okay. that's all the books. I wrote. <laughs> so, so any, any big plans coming up uh, as far as what you're, you're ready to put pen to paper again on? Um, well, yes, I'm currently uh, interviewing a guy by the name of Bill Bradley, who was the first player in NFL history to lead the league in interceptions two years in a row. He used to play for the Philadelphia Eagles from 1969 through 77, I believe. And uh, he's quite a character. Uh, the stories that he tells are really incredible. He's in his 70s, but he has a pretty good memory. But some of the stories you just you, 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 you kind of believe, you know, there's a reason why I love the 70s. And it's just so some of the funny stories. Um, I know, you know, probably have heard of Conrad Dobler, the dirtiest man in football so to speak for the cardinals offensive lineman yeah I, i've seen enough uh, nfl films to see him a couple times he bill bradley told me a story um that uh, one day um after conrad got him really good he saw conrad's wrapped up arm laying on the turf and he didn't want to miss that opportunity so he jumped on it with all of his weight <laughs> and and the, the screams could be heard, according to Bill, in the second level of the stadium uh, from Conrad after that. Um, and then after that game, uh, Conrad, uh, Jackie Smith, 
Dan Deerdorf and the line coach for the uh, Cardinals, Jim Hannafin, were waiting in the hallway near the locker room areas so that they could jump Bill Bradley and beat him up. This is after the game. Uh, he had to, give, incredible. They had to give him well, the receipt, right? He needed the receipt for what well, happened. And, and um, of course, Bill knew what they were up to, so he avoided them until uh, he got traded to the Cardinals on his very last year. <laughs> and they they waited for him to come around into the St. Louis locker room as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. They beat the crap out of him. <laughs> but then they accepted him. They accepted him as, as one of their own that final year. He so that was a fun. He had to pay his dues, that's all. One more story about him, and I'll stop talking about him. But he, um, he at one time, he dated the daughter of President Lyndon Johnson, President of the United States. And she invited Bill to go up to the White House to meet the president. And he said no because he had something else to do that day and he can't (laughs) and he can't remember what that other thing was so i mean the guy's incredible and i can't wait to write his biography it's overdue you know and um i had heard years ago that he was looking for somebody to do it and at that time i wanted to take that opportunity but i just was too, too filled with too many other projects but I remembered that, and I kept it in the back of my head. And then when the time arose for me to find something else, I, I contacted him, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'd love to do it. So, great. That's that's what I'm doing right now. All right. Well, we'll do everybody a favor. You know, we got we got our listeners out here, you know, paying attention. So tell them where they can find your books, where are they available, where can they uh, get a copy of the Packers book or anything else you've written? They can get, get them all through Amazon.com website. Books a Million website, Barnes and Noble website. Heck, you can even get them on eBay. To just to go online, you know, and there are some deals you can get. And um, used copies are just as good as new ones, especially if the price is cheaper, which it usually is. But Amazon usually is the best place, Amazon.com, to find the NFL in the 1970s, um, the year the Packers came back, or America's trailblazing middle linebacker. So let me ask you one last question before we let you go. Since you were so big on covering the 70s, is that Steelers dynasty the best team ever assembled? Oh, God. The best team ever assembled. And if not, you can feel free to tell me who. Uh, You know, I I would have to say no, but just by a hair, the – yeah, the, the what Bill Belichick has done with the New England Patriots, six world championships, and and all of those years. I'm sorry, I know <laughs> you you can't deny it in this in this era of, of salary caps and Tom Brady throwing to guys that you never heard of. <laughs> they're they're going to go down in history as probably the greatest. So I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to pigeonhole you. I thought for sure I was just I was lobbing you a gopher ball that you're just going to be like, yeah, the Steelers of the 70s, definitely the the NFL team of all time. And then you came back, and I completely understand. But you know what? That's a lot of credibility right there. You know, you didn't go. Well, to, you you, you got away want- from the the homerism of the era you grew up, and you gave it to the Patriots, which I can understand that. Well, I I just lost a lot of Packer fans right now because the 60 Packers were really good, too. (laughs) 
Well, oh, well. That's the thing about sports debates, though. We always have that opportunity to go over those things, and maybe you could write a book about that one day, Joe. <laughs> no, no. There's enough books written about the Patriots, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, and we'll keep in touch. Hopefully we talk to you soon, okay? Hey, sounds great, guys. Thanks for inviting me on. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Right, you too. Well, we definitely appreciated Mr. Zagurski joining us to talk about his book. Make sure you check out all his stuff on Amazon. Uh, He's definitely a football writer, amongst other things. But that almost wraps us up for this week. But like always, we have a little bit of pop culture we want to talk about. And I got to tell you, I got a couple things. One, I had a coworker recommend the movie Tusk to me. And if you've never seen it, it's like a version of... The Human Centipede. Did you ever watch that? I never watched it, but I remember like at Hollywood Video or any other video <laughs> you would go to on a Friday night. On a, on a hopping Friday night, you would see like the – I remember seeing the centipede, Human Centipede like cover. Was it, it? It was freaky. Uh, I don't – I feel like I was done going to rental stores when that came out. No. I probably wasn't still in that mode. You sure? Yeah. When did that come out? Uh, like – 05 to 010. 05 to 2010. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe or maybe there's something else. I, I don't, don't know. know. But, no, but never mind. You know what that was? I, I'm dying to know. The blob. The blob? What? <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you relegate the blob to the human centipede? I don't know. <laughs> the human centipede. Maybe it came out of his cocoon. <laughs> Have you ever seen the human centipede? No. You, you need to watch it just, for, right. the, just for the cringe factor. All do right. you know what it is? No. You don't know what the human centipede is? No. It's this German doctor who decides to make a human centipede out of three people by surgically attaching them together. So basically you have a head and then they attach the middle person whose head is attached to a certain orifice that's probably not very pleasurable. And then that person's orifice at their end is attached to the next person's face and then they're the end. And uh, so, yeah, if you're the middle person, that's not a good place to be. Right. Because that means you're eating crap every day. Well, that's beautiful. So is the last person. At least they don't have anybody attached to their butt. Yeah. Anyway, Tusk is a Kevin Smith movie. You know, Jane Silent Bob, that guy, Silent Bob. Okay. And um, it's uh, basically a guy who turns somebody into a walrus. There's the spoiler. But it's weird. Is it new? It's less than 10 years old, mm. but not super new. Um, it's Justin Long is uh, in it. It's just, oh, Haley Joe Osment, the, the kid from The Sixth Sense that turned out to be kind of a fat dude. He's in it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's just. Well, he's doing better than Macaulay Culkin. He is. He's not on crack. Yeah. <laughs> watch uh, Human Centipede first, but then watch Tusk. But anyway, uh, also watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari over the weekend. I've been wanting to watch it. Pleasantly surprised. I'm not a big race car guy. Not yeah. a big car guy. Like, I like cars, but I'm not, like, obsessed with it. Like, I don't have a license plate that says, you know, found on the road dead is what Ford trucks mean. Like, I don't care. Like Who's the main players in that movie? Uh, so you got Matt Damon and uh, Christian Bale. Oh, okay. I mean, that's pretty good, right? No, that's a good cast. So you also have, I don't know the name of the actor, but the guy that plays uh, John Henry Ford II, 
um, it is just phenomenal in the role. Like it's, this is 1960s Ford, you know, growing, and he's the C. It's fantastic. He his character alone makes the movie work. How long is it? Three uh, and a half hours. I, it's, I don't think it's that long. I don't feel like it. Didn't feel like is it to not, me. Another Irishman? No, it's not an Irishman. <laughs> it's not. All right, but I got another one. I'm gonna save for the end. I want to hear what you got. Man, I don't know how to follow that up. I, well, I got another one I'm going to hit you with. So go ahead. All I have is the uh, Dracula series on Netflix. I love horror movies, and I love the traditional. Blah, like, blah, blah. Yeah, I love the traditional like monster movies, and it's more of an old school Dracula. It's not this new crap that nobody cares for. It's it's, it's not ba- Twilight. No, it's based on uh, Bram Stoker's novel, okay. and it's based back in uh, Transylvania. Um, it's a three part series. Um, I, I, w- I was, uh, glued to it all three series, all, all three episodes. So I liked it. So if you like that, check it out. Um, not too gory. So it's, it's, it's fine. Okay. Did, did you like, uh, Van Helsing? No. Okay. So it's not like that. No, to me, it was more right up the alley of interview of the vampire. I love that movie. It was it, cause it was based in like the 1800s. When the show started, okay, and then it went into the future a little bit as the episodes went on. But to me, it was more uh, realistic. Did you ever watch the HBO series True Blood? No, I, I can't remember if I've talked to you about this or not. But my wife got a big kick about that, and it was oh it, yeah, you did. Cage you you told me about that. It's always like getting it on with each other. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Farmer friend. Something about them vampires, man. They seductive. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I got to show you something later. Just remind me. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right. There's a Key and Peele skit about vampires, and if you've never seen it, just search Key and Peele vampires on YouTube. It's fantastic. My last pop culture thing I want to hit you with is my um, 87-year-old grandfather was in town for the week, and, you know, he stays with me. And, you know, I try to find things on TV that's not going to, like, push him away, and I try to find things he wants to like. And somehow... Didn't you watch Ford and Ferrari with him, though? We, we did. Okay. And then somehow we got into the Planets of the Ape trilogy. Like, the, the new one. This, yeah. Like, Caesar, and, and it started with... Uh, you know, Dawn of Planet of the Apes, Rise of Planet of the Apes, and then War of Planet of the Apes. I was amazed how good those were. I've never seen them. I've seen parts of them, but I'm not, I, I need to watch them in order, dude. Like I, I got once I got through the second one, I like I couldn't wait to watch the third one. It was fantastic. I remember watching the old ones as a kid, and I was even intrigued by those. These are these are so much better. I'm sure they like, are. My grandpa, like at 87 years old, just like. I can't believe how real this looks. You look at the costume when that guy I was like, Grandpa, that's not that's CGI. What'd you say? CGI? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's not a costume. Like, that's how good it was. Like, he was blown away by how real it looked. But just uh, to watch the build from the first one all the way through, and then it, it even went into like a Lion King type story arc. It was phenomenal, man. It was just great. Which one's the one that, uh, isn't Woody Harrelson in one of them? He's in the in the last one. Yeah, yeah, I've seen parts of that one. Right. So the first one is really good, and it doesn't have as much action in it. It's more about just kind of painting the picture. Like Batman of, Begins. Yes, it's the Batman. It's exactly that. Yeah. The the second one is the best one. It's the Dark Knight. Yeah. The third one, Dark Knight Rises, it's fine. It kind of brings it to a head, but it's not as good as the second That's one. That's a good analogy. It's exactly what it is. It is a monkey version of... Of the Batman trilogy. Nice. Of, of Christopher Nolan directs Planet of the Apes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out. Um, that's all we got for this week. I don't, do we have a guest next week? 
Uh, it's supposed to be Brett Boone. Brett Boone. So Brett Boone, if you're listening, uh, we we look forward to talking to you. If he if he ends up canceling, you know what? He's a busy guy. We understand, but right now we got Brett Boone locked in for next week. So hopefully we'll talk more awesome baseball with a guy who definitely he might have had the best year a second baseman ever had in history. 150 plus RBS. Like what's the second? I don't know. That's insane. That's got to be a record. Jeff Kent never did that. Uh-huh. Or Ryan Sandberg. So we're looking forward to talking to Brett Boone. But we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. This has been the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. We'll see you same time next week.